I want to invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 16 this morning. It's been quite a while um, since we looked at the Gospel of Mark. I think it's been about four months. So um, it might be helpful for me, um, or for all of us, just to briefly give an overview of what we've looked at in Mark uh, before we get into the specific text this morning. We've seen in the Gospel of Mark um, that Mark is setting out to demonstrate that Jesus is the Son of God and that in Him, the kingdom of God is being established, it's being inaugurated. But the means by which Jesus is doing this, we've seen, is, isn't through force, isn't through um, conquering, but rather it's through servanthood and suffering. Mark has shown that Jesus is the Son of God, and specifically in the first eight chapters, we've seen Jesus' um, identity demonstrated through his authority. His authority in his teaching, right? When the crowds hear him teach, they, they often break out in, in, in words like, no one has ever taught like this. What kind of authority does this man have? We see his authority in his miracles, in the healing of the blind and the lame. We also see his authority in casting out the demons and his authority to forgive sins. And this has really been um, emphasized in the, the first eight chapters of Mark. And then in chapter 8, verse 27, there's a shift in the narrative. After Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, where the emphasis begins to focus on Jesus as the Son of God being the suffering servant. He begins to really give his attention to his disciples, and he begins to lead his disciples to the way of the cross. He himself begins to make his way to Jerusalem for his impending death. So for example, in, in chapter 8, 31 to 33, Jesus mentions his death and resurrection for the first time, and then right after that, he calls his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. See, he's beginning to teach his disciples what, what true discipleship it is, and, and really in one sense what true greatness is, which of course is humility and servanthood. And then we left off um, in the Gospel of Mark at the beginning of chapter 10 where Jesus addresses the issue of divorce and remarriage. Because the Pharisees were wanting to test him to see where he stood on the issue, marriage at that time and, and divorce and remarriage was very controversial and they wanted to know what Jesus thought. And now, beginning in verse 13, we have a small scene change. The people, the crowds, they're wanting to bring to Jesus their children. And here in this moment, Jesus seeks to teach his disciples something about the nature of his kingdom once again. So let me read the scripture and then I'll pray for us. And they were bringing, verse 13, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, 
laying his hands on them. Let me pray. Father, as we look to your word now, help us to understand this passage that we might conform ourselves to it by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that today you would even draw people to yourself, those who are outside your kingdom, maybe adults here and maybe even children, that you by your spirit would cause them to realize their need for Jesus and that they would humble themselves and embrace him as the Lord and Savior that he is. Speak to us now by your word and by the power of your spirit. We pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, throughout Mark's gospel, um, Jesus has shown us the unique nature of the kingdom of God. It's for people, and it, and it draws people you would not likely expect. It, it draws the outcast. It, it draws the marginalized, the poor, the, the sinner, and the unclean. Jesus' ministry has reflected this throughout the gospel. These are the people that Jesus pursues. These are the kinds of people that, that Jesus says belongs in his kingdom. Whereas the, the self-righteous Pharisee, for example, has no place in his kingdom. And we see these truths, I think, being unpacked here once again in verses 13 to 16, where, where Jesus takes issue with his disciples and their response to the people. Really, once again, we see just how foolish the disciples are. We're told that the, the people were bringing children to Jesus. They were wanting him to touch them. Uh, the idea, of course, is they were wanting Jesus to bless them. Uh, this wasn't something new or, or foreign. Uh, this would have been a common practice amongst the people of Israel that you can actually trace all the way back to Genesis 48. Jacob blessing both Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons. Now, most likely, these would have been very young children that were being brought to Jesus, even infants. Luke 18, 15 to 17 tells us that they were bringing infants to him. So you have these parents, they're desiring for Jesus to touch and bless their children. But there's a barrier. There's something in the way. The foolish disciples are preventing people from bringing their little ones to Jesus, even rebuking them for it. Why? What's their issue? Well, we're not actually told why, but I think from the context, we can probably come to some idea. Jesus has been teaching them about the nature of the kingdom. He tells them that true greatness is seen in servanthood in verse, nine, uh, verse uh, 35 of chapter 9. And then in chapter 9, verse 41, he teaches them that the simple act of giving a cup of water to one who belongs to Christ is sacred in the eyes of God. But as we know about the disciples, and just like us quite often, we don't fully get the teachings from Jesus. It takes us a while to figure it out. You see, they're, they're still thinking about the kingdom through the lens of worldly ideas. They're thinking about the kingdom through the lens of strength and power and conquer. Because most likely, most likely for the disciples, um, they're thinking that Jesus is already too busy for these children. Right? They see these people wanting to bring their little ones to Jesus and they prevent them because 
Jesus has far more important things to do. And holding and blessing unimportant little children isn't all that important in the grand scheme of things. I mean, for goodness sakes, Jesus needs to be spending time casting out demons, causing the blind to see and the lame to walk. Don't you guys get it that Jesus is focused on establishing the kingdom of Israel? He doesn't have time for these insignificant moments and these insignificant children. See, the disciples were still thinking in worldly, fallen categories. As William Lane puts it, the disciples' attempt to turn the children aside because they were unimportant is one more instance of a persistent tendency to think in holy, human, fallen categories. See, I wonder how many of us can think of Jesus like this. He's got way bigger things to care about than me or my children. Or maybe we sometimes think that we have way more important things to be focused on than the insignificant small things of life. And maybe we can see the, the small things like caring for a child as a, as a barrier to the real important things in life. There, there's something way more spiritual, way more important than caring for a child or, or helping, for example, a fellow church member to move. I had the Lord convict me, uh, convict me over this um, just recently. On, uh, on Mondays and Tuesdays in the morning, I usually am the one to take Inez because Gracie has to work Monday morning and Tuesday morning. And so often I'll, I'll bring Inez down and, and I'll feed her breakfast and then I'll put her down with her toys and and my goal is for her to play with her toys so that I can have my coffee and my Bible and just read while she plays. And if you're a parent, you know that that might last about five minutes. At that moment, she gets bored of her toys and now she wants dad's attention or she wants to tear the pages out of my Bible. And I find sometimes that I get frustrated because in those moments, I just want to read my Bible. So, Inez, please just play with your toys. Allow Daddy to read his Bible. But the reality is what I'm doing there is this. I see my daughter in that moment as a barrier to something that I have deemed more important. I've deemed reading my Bible more important than caring for my daughter in that moment. And I think there's a spirituality that functions like that, that is completely not in line with the heart of God. You see, if, if Jesus showed up into my living room that very morning, I think he would have tapped me on my shoulder, he would have told me to put my Bible down, and he would have said, go and play with your daughter. She needs you. She needs your love, your affection, your attention. She needs to see you smile. She needs you now far more than you need to be reading your Bible. See, in that moment, caring for my daughter was a far deeper spiritual act than me reading my Bible. That's the heart of Christ. And the disciples still haven't fully grasped that. And quite often we don't fully grasp that. But that's precisely what we see in Jesus' response in verse 14, where Jesus says to them, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children, or let the children come to me, do not hinder them, 
for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, there's several things we need to observe here. The first is this. Mark reveals for us Jesus' inner affections. We're told that when he saw what the disciples were doing, he was indignant. The idea there is that he was deeply grieved over what he was observing. You know, we know this, that what, what grieves a person reveals a lot about who a person is. See, Jesus is grieved over seeing his disciples prohibiting little children from coming to him. And this indignation probably stems from a lot of things with the disciples, but, but it's probably mainly a result of the disciples not grasping the heart of Christ. It was Jesus just a little while ago where in Mark 9, 36-37, he takes a child in the midst of his disciples and he said these words, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And just a little later, they're actually preventing little children from being brought to Jesus despite the fact that just a little bit before, Jesus tells them that when you receive children in my name, you receive me. This is why he was deeply grieved. His disciples, who were meant to represent him, were once again not representing him. Well, what about us? What about us? Maybe an important question for us to ask before we speak, before we do something, before we tweet, before we post, is simply this. Will it represent Jesus well or poorly? Because understand this. As a Christian, there's never a moment where you're not a representative of Jesus. You're either a good representative or a bad one. So we see that Jesus is deeply grieved, indignant because of what his disciples are doing. Secondly, we also see Jesus' deep love for children. Now I know that's obvious, but it needs to be stated. Jesus loves children. I have no doubt that if Jesus showed up after the service this morning and all of us adults were fellowshipping, most likely Jesus wouldn't be with us. I think he'd be playing with the kids. George MacDonald once said that he doubted a man's Christianity if children were never found playing around his door. You see, the triune God who is all-powerful and self-sufficient loves and delights in children. The Son of God, the incarnate Christ, loves and delights in children. Unlike the disciples, Jesus is ready and willing to give his time and attention to little children because he loves them. And that's why he tells his disciples, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Now kids, I want you to listen up for one second. I want to speak to you. And I want to make this as clear as possible. You need to hear this. Jesus wants you to come to him. He desires for you to come to him. Though there are others at time, at times in life that, that, that they will not always be able to make time for you, know that Jesus does. If he was willing to die for you, of course he would want you 
to come to him. There's nothing that would bring him more joy than for you to come to him and to give him all of your frustrations, all of your burdens, all the things that are hard for you. He wants you to come and learn from him, to love him, to pray to him, to trust him, to receive his blessing, to know his infinite love for you. You don't have to wait to be an adult to have a relationship with Jesus. In fact, adults have to become like children in order to have a relationship with Jesus. That's precisely Jesus' point here in verse 14, where he says, Let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. What does Jesus mean by this? Is Jesus saying that these children that are being brought to him are recipients of his kingdom regardless of repentance and faith? No, that's not what's going on here. The clue lies in the word such or to such as these. Notice Jesus doesn't say don't hinder them because to these belong the kingdom. He doesn't say that. He uses the word to such. In other words, he's not saying that the kingdom belongs to all children simply because they're children. Rather, he's saying that there's something about children that capture or represent the kind of people who inherit the kingdom. Children stand for something. They point to something beyond themselves. They signify something bigger than themselves. Children visibly reveal truths about the nature of Christ's kingdom and what's necessary in order for you to belong in the kingdom, whether you're a child or an adult. Remember, this whole section has been primarily Jesus teaching his disciples about the nature of his kingdom, and I think that's exactly what's happening here as well. And he uses children to demonstrate something that is essential if one wants to belong to the kingdom. So what is it? What is it about children that would lead Jesus to say the kingdom belongs to such as these? Well, the clue rests in verse 15. I think this is the answer, the explanation. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now this is both beautiful and terrifying. You want to enter the kingdom of God, then you have to receive it in a specific manner, like a child. So there's, there's something about receiving the kingdom like a child that reveals what is required for someone to enter God's kingdom. Is it a child's innocence? Definitely not. If you've been a parent, you know your kid isn't innocent. Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. Everything a little child receives demonstrates their helplessness and utter dependence upon another. There's a helpless dependence upon another that a child has that is necessary for an adult to have to enter the kingdom of God. If you don't have that helpless dependence upon Christ, you will not enter the kingdom 
of God. The kingdom is barred from anyone who would attempt to receive it without complete helplessness and dependence upon Jesus. That's the whole point with being childlike here. As Piper puts it, children stand for the kind of dependence and helplessness and need and insufficiency and faith that is required of adults to enter the kingdom of God. If you've been a careful listener of my preaching over the last two years, you'll know that I often mention how the material world, all that we can see and touch, is meant to point us to a deeper reality. In other words, the creation itself is is sacramental, meaning everything is symbolic of deeper spiritual realities. So for example, and I've used this illustration a lot, None of us look at a lion and just simply ponder his biology, his organs, his, his paws, and his, and his blood vessels. None of us do that with a lion. When we see a lion, there's ideas that come to our minds that a lion conveys deeper realities like strength and kingliness. And it's the same with children. Little children point us to ideas, deeper realities, like dependence and helplessness. God's intended and designed children that way. Every time I clean Inez's bum, every time I bathe her, every time I carry her from the car to the house, I am being shown a spiritual truth that I'm utterly helpless and utterly dependent upon Christ, just as my little girl is utterly dependent upon Gracie and I for life. And until you come to that realization, you will never be able to receive the kingdom like a child, and therefore you will not enter it. This is how Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he explains what this becoming like children is. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, so long as you think that you're not needy, that you're self-sufficient, that you're independent, you will have no access to the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God belongs to the helpless, the dependent, and the needy. And it's those who are helpless and needy who receive spiritual blessing from Jesus, just as these little ones did in verse 16. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. That's the heart of Christ for children and for those who come to him acknowledging their helplessness and their utter dependence upon him. This is who the kingdom of God is for. It's not for the strong, it's not for the mighty, it's not for the successful, it's not for the self-sufficient, it's for the helpless and the needy, it's for the unimportant and the least. And here's the reality. 
Every human being is helpless, needy, insufficient, and dependent. The question is whether or not you'll humble yourself like a child and acknowledge that you are helpless and needy and insufficient. Only then will the kingdom of Christ be opened to you. And so will you this morning receive the kingdom like a child? That is the call upon our lives. And hear this, Christian. Not only do we receive the kingdom like a child, not only do we enter the kingdom through dependence and need, we also remain in the kingdom by continual dependence and need upon Jesus. The Christian life is not one of dependence to independence. The Christian life is one from dependence to more dependence upon Jesus. And he is committed to showing you on a regular basis just how much you need him. So brothers and sisters, let us strive to become the children that God intends for us to be. Let's pray. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here, whether it's an adult or a child, who has not trusted in Jesus, who has not humbled themselves and come and have come to Jesus, I pray that you would do that here this morning. Draw them to yourself. Cause them to realize that they have a deep need. They need their sins forgiven. They need to be made whole. They need to be reconciled to you. And only you, by the blood of your Son, can do that. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to live lives with a childlike spirit, utterly dependent upon you for all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.